thrusters won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me on the range point four. This is control. Be real. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Sits and civs, captains and commanders, you're tuned to the guard frequency, and as all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 153 of the Best Damn Space Sim podcast ever, and was recorded on Friday, January 27th, and made available for download Tuesday, January 31st over at guardfrequency.com. I'm Henry. I'm Ostron. And I'm Jeff. So what do we have in store this week, Jeff? This week's Squawk Box, we check out some celestial bodies. Kin Shadow, put your shirt back on. Oh, thanks. On the flight deck, we see what news from your favorite space sims has landed. First up, you get a crew, and you get a crew, and everyone gets a crew. Both Star Citizen and Elite Dangerous are talking multi-crew. And the latest patch notes from Infinity Battlescape. And finally, we tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. That takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get on with the show and see what's coming through the squawk box. Any of you boys need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. Crypto, crypto, crypto. This is Jeff saying welcome to the Squawk Box, everyone. Well, ever since the brutal demotion of Pluto, some have been lamenting the fact that the solar system no longer has nine planets. Fortunately, the Astronomical Journal reports that someone may have fixed that. A team from UC Santa Cruz were tracking orbits of some far-flung objects in the solar system and noticed orbital anomalies. Chances of the anomalies occurring at random were about 0.007%. A far more likely explanation is that there is a planet with an extreme orbit whose gravity is causing the mess. Despite no direct observation of the theoretical planet, the team has a good idea what kind of astral body would fit the bill. The planet would be an ice giant like Neptune or Uranus and roughly three times the size of Earth. It's also way further out. Its closest approach to the sun would be 200 or 300 AU. And at its furthest, it would be between 600 and 1200 AU away. The orbit would take something like 20,000 years to complete. So all you people with birthdays on February 29th can rest easy that someone's got it worse than you do. They're also starting to speculate about names. Currently, Biden, George, Jehoshaphat, and Planet of the Apes have all been used by scientists to refer to the theoretical planet. Due to the lack of observation, the only evidence this planet exists are the combination of the erratic orbits of the other objects and math, which has some scientists questioning the conclusion. Many others claim that the ninth planet, or tenth, depending on when that claim was made, have cropped up over the years and have all been randomly debunked. However, there are some who allow that the evidence presented for this planet is more solid than many others. It reminds me of a 50-ish sci-fi, the monsters from Planet X or something like that, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I, I seem to recall, like, ever since I was younger there's always been some buzz about a ninth or tenth or i think at one time there was a claim that they'd identified planets all the way out to like 13th until somebody just came out and said yeah there's a whole bunch of 
random debris objects orbiting in the Oort cloud, and none of them really count as planets. Well, Pluto is a planet. As far as I'm concerned, Pluto is a planet. It should never have been demoted in a way. From what I understand, them deciding whether or not it's a planet has a lot to do with whether or not it had cleared its orbital path. And this object they're describing that is so far away, um, and part of the Oort cloud, obviously and perturbing things that are out there obviously hasn't cleared its path. So would it qualify? Does that make that that new definition of a planet the way Pluto doesn't? I think in this case, it's more to do with the size. I, I remember one of the other characteristics that caused the Pluto debate was the fact that its supposed moon is almost the same size as it is. And both of them are relatively small. This thing would be huge comparatively speaking. So you can't really call it a planetoid unless you want to start questioning like, okay, is Earth actually a planetoid? And it would be things like that. I think that's what I'm talking about when we say the definition of a planet. They're trying to pin that down and say what makes a planet and what doesn't make a planet. So Earth would obviously fall into that because it's cleared its orbital path and it's it's large enough to be round. So it hits the, the criteria that they laid out. This new object being in the Corpier belt, I feel like it wouldn't meet that anyway. And I wonder I wonder what the definition of a planet is they're using for this story. And I wonder what, uh, what the opinions of the scientists are in that respect. Well, we don't know for certain that it hasn't cleared its orbital path because the path is so large and at this point it's theoretical. Yeah, that's so, true. So, uh, I mean, it could be that the path is clear. The objects that it's disturbing, it's like gravitational forces, the same way that like Jupiter does have some sort of effect on the Earth's orbit and on Mars's orbit, but it's not, it never directly intersects with our orbital paths. But first they'd have to find this thing, and according to the article, given the distance it is from the Sun and its probable makeup, this would be extremely dark. Like, they'd probably have to pick it up based on some sort of other emissions rather than visible light, because it's probably not reflecting hardly any light back from Sol at all. Yeah, that's a good point, too. Read, seen, or heard something you think might be interesting to others listening on the spectrum? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. But for now, let's see what news has hit the flight deck. 3175 Port Bay, hands on approach, checkers green, call the ball. Our Star Citizen crowdfunding update for January 27th, 2017, $142.1 million, up about 319,000, 1.729 million registered accounts, up about 4,400, and 1.207 million ships in the UEE fleet, up about 3,350. Two weeks ago, as of this show's publication, Star Citizen held another of their subscriber town halls, where subscribers can submit questions online to be answered by the devs. The overall theme of this town hall was the persistent universe, though multiple specific topics were covered given how broad a topic the PU is. Questions addressed planets, multi-crew, combat logging, turrets, farming, multiple currencies, and beacons. Ecosystems and planetary environments were the first question. Apart from helping with immersion, one thing that ecosystems may help with in the game is a kind of level gating for the players. Since there aren't any levels, it won't be a made-up in-universe reason, it'll be a more visceral reason, like this atmosphere will kill you without the right gear. 
Hazardous planets might have more lucrative resources, but it'll take work in advance to get there. To start off on multi-crew, they are aware that the turrets on ships need an update, but they're waiting on item 2.0, otherwise it would be time spent on fixing a system just to have it change later. Much of the multi-crew discussion concerned what happens if and when you are on a multi-crew ship and the owner drops off. Chris did say that any ships with active players on them will remain until all players have left the immediate area around the ship. That also means that if the ship is under attack, the whole crew logging off will not cause the ship to disappear. In general, your ship will persist for a time after logging out. It will suck if your ISP dropped you, but hopefully you can get back in time. And if you pull the plug, well, hopefully your insurance is paid up. That persistence mechanic is also designed to help with large crew or organization level missions that might require multiple days or hours of travel. Org members on a long distance exploration mission can take shifts to keep the ship flying even if everyone isn't present, but if all of them need to log off, the ship will reappear wherever they last were. Further discussion did say that there isn't currently any mechanism to prevent your so-called friends from taking your ship and going joyriding in an asteroid field. Eventually the owner will be able to grant specific permissions for crew members to use systems on their ships, but right now choose your crewmates carefully. An advantage of multi-crew over single-player ships came up as well. On larger ships, crew, NPC or otherwise, will be running around trying to keep the ship alive, making them more tanky than a single-seater might be. Also, just like that hunk of junk in Star Wars, your quantum drive just might fail when you try to use it. Take spare parts and keep a maintenance schedule, because it might save your life. This might be doubly true for explorers. There was a question about creating a peaceful farming homestead and avoiding combat altogether. The devs allowed that it will be theoretically possible to find a remote location and partake in a purely non-combat experience. However, they did not make it sound like there will be a farmer's only zone where combat is flat out not possible. A Luke returns to the farm after the stormtroopers moment can happen. Its likelihood depends on how remote your location is. And dashing Tony's hopes of another soapbox session, if playable other races enter the game, there might be other currencies. But there are no plans for anything in the near future. Everything will just be based on UEC. Lastly, beacons. There will be more than just distress beacons. You can use beacons to call for a rescue, cops, or even job requests. Find a spot to mine and need some extra help? Your beacon can act as a dynamic, mobile job board that lets you make bespoke job postings filtered by whichever criteria you want. Even if it's just an M50 pilot you want to deliver that Big Benny's you got a hankering for. Good news for anyone planning to form the Star Citizen incarnation of Uber. So it's been a while since we've seen a lot of long-term speculation on systems like this out of CIG. I think it's because we're really on the cusp of starting to see a lot of these systems come into play in our, our playable, persistent universe. It's a very exciting time for Star Citizen. It's been a while, but some of this stuff they're talking about coming is really cool. I still got to wait and see attitude. Yeah, well, a lot of this, at least, it doesn't seem too far off from what they're doing right now. It just requires a larger universe than what they have. Yeah, but for a guy like me, that's what I've been waiting for. You know, the, the, the whole point of Star Citizen is being a star citizen. I want to play in that universe. I want to be immersed in that universe. It's really going to be something once we get all these things working together. And I feel like we're really starting to see some of that come through. Well, a lot of things have changed since the very beginning. I know I was there. I got the golden ticket to prove it. And uh, things change in this game. We can be wildly speculative, I guess. 
something to be excited about with multi-crew. I'm really interested to see how that's going to play out with people being able to take over your ship when you log off. I think that's going to be really cool, and it's one of the things that when we look at games that would have benefited from multi-crew in the past and they never really pull it off, they never really do that, it's like, well, how do you leave someone in charge of your in-game assets? How do you make a system where you're able to do that? And it looks like Star Citizen hasn't figured that out, but isn't shying away from trying to do it in a way that's going to be innovative and fun, um, even if it's risky for the players. I think that's what Star Citizen's about, honestly, making those kind of innovations. Right in the beginning, they're pretty much admitted that there's going to be more risk, because if you've got anybody else on your ship, whoever walks up and sits down in the pilot seat is going to be able to fly the ship. But eventually they're going to make it so that you can lock the systems out so only certain designated players or NPCs are able to pilot the ship. So it'll be a lot easier to lock the ship down, although they did say, like, they likened it to letting somebody borrow your car. I mean, if you really trust them, that's good. But if you don't know them that well and they decide to take your car on a joyride through the woods, there's nothing you can really do about it until after the fact. Well, you know, the thing that gets me is that nobody's really asked the big question on that yet. And I'm not sure what the answer is going to be. And it's very key to a great deal of what's going on in Star Citizen, especially if it's going to be a success. And nobody's said anything about it yet. Will orgs, organizations, as they are corporations in the UEC, will they have assets And with those assets, will they be owned by the corporation, which means a complex permissions and regular maintenance schedules. And I mean, everything that this type of game is supposed to be the almost real life version of us in a spacefaring situation. And I mean, so far we're all talking about individuals, but everything's being driven to the organization. I mean, if you look at the organization system or the organizations that are out there, they're like humongous. Yeah, some of them are huge. Yeah. So it's really going to be a a very complex system. Yeah, I imagine with the system, the simple one they're talking about, you could probably jury rig something similar, but you're right. They do need to figure out what the status of assets as they relate to organizations is going to be. And we haven't heard a lot about that. Last topic I want to touch on with this, if I can uh, jump in real quick, the idea of moving far out of civilized space and being able to have a safe area to farm or whatever. I really like that idea, and I like the fact that they're not making it a PvE-only area. I like that there's an element of danger there, no matter where you go, and that it's your responsibility to find a remote place to hide if that's what you want to do. Yeah, I think Tony would disagree with you. I would disagree in a game like Elite because I think I really like being able to pop into solo and be protected from PvP if I want. But I feel like Star Citizen is just going to be a different experience altogether. And I feel like we'll need that. Well, if we get to land on every planet or, or at least, let's face it, in Elite you can't land on every planet. Yeah, there's not as many places to go and hide. Or there's not as right. much to do when you go there when you go there to hide anyway. Yep, that's also correct. So, given that Star Citizen is supposed to be land on every planet that, you know, you can theoretically survive on, then there's a lot of opportunity. Somebody's really got to be tracking you or hunting you if you if given the number of bodies that are supposed to be in the game, you could find a very remote place to 
to park out and build a little shelter and a campfire and and just stay hidden for the rest of the well, game it's, experience. It's even you could even do it better than that because if you remember the Endeavor science vessels can have hydroponics bays on them. Oh yeah. So you could get like a mini fleet of four of those and just find a random point in space like far away from any landmarks and just park yourself there and then you're talking okay somebody has to locate me in 400 quadrillion square kilometers of empty space in order to figure out what's going on i mean supplies might be a nightmare until if you can't figure that out but yeah as far as places to hide go i think you're you know rife with possibilities i am kind of thrilled with the beacons though because that means for us that's going to be nice to have that beacon come off and we go do our rescue bit yeah although now i have this comedy skit in my head of like (laughs) somebody replies to the first beacon first guy sends out a second beacon for assistance then that comes in and now we've got a third beacon going and by the end of it you've got 10 distress beacons all coming from the same area right that could be neat though it'd be like uh if those are police beacons that are going to actually call npc police or whatever it might be like when they have different people call in about the same fire you know oh yeah like three alarm or four right so maybe that'll increase the response that happens the number of unique players that have dropped beacons would increase the response that comes in that would be really cool or maybe the distance that the beacon can broadcast. Well, I, and I, it makes me wonder, you know, thinking about um, goods and services as the organization, will we get to create and build beacons that uh, are guard frequency specific? And, you know, that uh, would probably be the like the bespoke job board beacons that were mentioned. So like you'd. You, I imagine you could put out a beacon like that that would broadcast a quote job. But then you make it, you can probably, or at least I'd hope you'd be able to sort of limit it to, you know, this is broadcasting to guard frequency members only. So then they're the only people, even if other people could pick it up, the guard frequency is the only one who could respond and get like the actual coordinates to right. go to. Yeah, that's pretty neat. I wonder if that would have to be a beacon system or if it could just be part of your communication system in some way. Like, does the game mechanic of dropping a beacon in space or having to collect it do anything different than if you were to just turn on a shipboard beacon and turn it off around the verse doubled down on the future development news this week with a discussion about missions and ai featuring questions from backers those interested in the details should check out the actual video but in general the devs promised a lot more variety coming in 3.0 and further down the line With the missions, they're working on creating more mission branches that can be mixed and matched to create a variety of missions with similar small pieces. Also, the small details will change. For one, missions won't always appear in the same spot like they do now, so the NPC will probably have to walk a little before he loses his dog again. Also, the experience won't always be the same because of the mission type. The example they used was one of rescuing a stranded spaceman. In the future, when you get there, the spaceman may be friendly, or it may be a lure. He may be alone, or he might have friends, and he may or may not need medical attention. With the AI, more varied and custom behaviors are planned for 3.0, so NPCs in the landing areas will have individual behaviors and routines. The backer questions asked about the AI crews on ships, focusing on which is better, AI or human crew, and whether there were limits on what AI crew could do. 
The devs explain that the AI will have varying skill levels, so their competence as compared to humans depends on which AI crew you hire. It's entirely possible to get a ship full of Datas backing you up, but if you cheap out on hiring, you may end up with Marvin the Paranoid Android, minus the snark. Also, not all AIs are equally capable in all areas, so the crew that got you top dollar on that cargo run might not be as helpful when you have to drill ore out of an asteroid. Finally, while there's no coded limit on which AI can crew which ships, lower skill operators have a higher chance of buckling under pressure in high-profile assignments. If you take a rookie and sit them at the helm of a javelin destroyer, they may actually screw up because of the weight of the responsibility you just gave them. They did give a spark of hope to aspiring battleship captains, though. While large ships will always require more crew, more experienced crewmen will be more efficient. So you may be able to get away with one all-star crew where you'd need two to three mediocre hands in some cases. That's a very complex AI system, you know? That, is that what they're spending their time on, is building this AI? Well, that, remember, the AI is sort of farmed out because they're getting it from Moon Collider. Mm -hmm. So the Moon Collider devs are doing most of the development on the AI system while they work on the guts of the game. It's exciting and it's cool, but the thing that gets me is when they talk about giving AI different uh, skill levels so that your AI crew may be very competent or maybe not. The problem I find with AI crews in most games is they're typically just not competent. They're not making the decisions that you'd make, and I feel like we're going to suffer from that. I don't know. I don't know how much I'm going to want to use an AI crew. Yeah, I mean... I'm interested in the possibilities that the system sort of promises, but I am, yeah, I've got a healthy amount of skepticism too. Although, I mean, for the relatively simple stuff, like crewing a basic ship, I imagine wouldn't be too hard for them to program. They've had AI piloting ships and shooting weapons for a while, and... I mean, I imagine that would be most of the crew positions that people would be interested in filling is like wingmen or co-pilots or gunners on the larger ships. The real test will be when you've got sort of the specialty ships like the repair ships and the mining ships to see how the AI behaves on those. This week's Star Citizen community question. Did any of the upcoming Persistent Universe features interest or enrage you? Do you have alternate ideas for how to implement some of the systems? Please chime in. Otherwise, next show's feedback is going to be just another rant by Tony. You can get in touch with us on all our usual channels. Full details coming up in the feedback loop. Concrete news from Elite Dangerous is a bit thin on the ground this week, but the latest newsletter had a major attention grab. The announcement of the Elite Dangerous, the Commander's Beta, also known as 2.3. What exactly the update contains remains mostly speculation. The only thing the announcement said is it will include multi-crew and the Commander Creator, which seems to be the title for their new avatar creation system. Also, as we touched upon last week, Elite has expanded the community goal related to the Alien Ruins, since the last goal was completed barely before it began. Engineer Ramtas sent an announcement that he narrowed probable locations of more Guardian sites of the four solar systems. Interested parties should check out the actual announcement for details. The star systems in question read like a Microsoft authentication codes, so repeating them here would probably be of little help. Elite is one of the few games with full support for both Oculus Rift and HTC Vive. I recently got my hands on a Vive and oh my god is it amazing. 
I've been playing with the Track IR headset since launch, but even this didn't prepare me for the complete immersion achieved with the Vive. Suddenly my Sidewinder feels tiny and cramped. It was like I could reach up and put my hand flat on the glass above my head, the canopy only being about 8 inches above this commander's VR enclosed beam. From there I moved to my ASP, which in contrast felt huge and open. Surrounded by glass and with so much room, I found I could actually stand up, walk out of my chair, and walk to the side of the cockpit to look out and all around at the most spectacular view I've seen in Elite to date. Combat's great too, there's nothing like watching a pirate blow up in an explosion the size of your house as you fly through massive chunks of debris. I've only had the set for two days, so I'm still working on getting it optimized, but the frame rate's steady with high VR set in the graphics quality menu. I'll be spending a lot of time with it this week, so expect a full report next week. So, obvious question in response to this, what kind of computer are you running this on? It's a Lenovo GTX 1070 with uh, 16 gigs of RAM. It's a fantastic machine. It's not too expensive. The Vive is a big chunk of money to, to swallow, but it's a fantastic yeah, all thing. The... I, I received it as a gift, so I was very lucky in that respect. Uh, yeah, you were. Yeah, that's that's the biggest barrier to entry for most people at this point is the the cost of the actual headset followed closely by the cost of having a system that's powerful enough to run the games at the required levels. Yeah, if the Thargoids hadn't killed my Alienware, I wouldn't have gotten the new computer to run the Vive anyway, but having the hardware and having the Vive, it's just amazing the immersion you can get. I flew to Maya and was just hanging out in that system. I went to uh, I went behind the planet that Obsidian Orbital is in orbit of, I forget the name of the planet. And from the dark side of the planet, the sky is just lit up blue with the Pleiades Nebula. And to just sit there, I, f I found myself something doing something I hadn't done in forever. I was just cruising straight and level, just looking around, sitting back. I was able to get out of my chair while the ship's cruising and walk around behind my seat and look out of the uh, canopy of the ASP. It's fantastic to be able to get up and walk around your cockpit. And in Elite, you have no idea of the scale until you've played it in VR. I mean, the, the cockpit of the ASP, I figured the table in front of you, the, the console where your, your HUD is projected, was probably four feet, maybe. It's probably closer to ten feet across when you're wearing VR, and your entire body is to scale. So, you know, you look at your hand, it feels like your hand. You look at the uh, console in front of you, you get a real distance of the depth, or the, the size of it, and the the depth that it is from your body. Um, in fact, all the HUD elements are drawn at different depths, so you can lean around your control or your communications menu if it's in your way. You can actually lean around and put your head beside it. It's fantastic. I can't wait to get it optimized and get together some tips for other elite players because there are some video quality issues with the Vive having to do with the fact that there's so much tiny text on the screen in a game like Elite. But I'm working on some tweaks for that, so I'll probably have some information for other people using the Vive to, to clean that up a bit by next week. Another interesting thing, stepping out of the pilot seat and looking back at the pilot's chair, your pilot is still sitting there but has no head. It's just the suit. So you see yourself <laughs> in the chair because we have no avatars and you just have... Uh, I'll, I'll try to get a screenshot. Maybe we can post it in the show notes, but it's just your headless commander as though you've gotten out of your suit and stepped beside it. I wonder how that will change once we have avatars. Because a big thing a lot of the YouTube channels I've seen about the Vive for Elite is people like being able to get up and walk around their cockpit. And I think that's going to be killed if, you're, if your pilot's still sitting there. 
Would that require them to integrate some sort of FPS? I have no idea. Element? So probably it won't happen. I'd imagine you'll get up and you'll see your avatar sitting there. That won't be as immersion-breaking as seeing the headless suit, because that was creepy when I first noticed it. Yeah, it's, they're probably just going to integrate the avatars as like part of the ship objects. Because I know that with Star Citizen, they had a hell of a time trying to make the individual first-person avatars work inside ships while they were in motion. Like, they had problems with the whole inertial dampening thing where, like, somebody would be... They'd have an avatar walking on the ship, and then they'd, like, jump. The avatar would retain its own physics, and then the ship would have a separate bunch of physics, and the avatar would end up slamming into the back wall at 500 meters per second and just die instantly. Wow, that's so crazy. So I imagine, yeah, the probably removal of the headless portion of the avatar but they'll probably still be sitting there this week's elite dangerous community question do you have the coveted beta access have you been running around gathering data for ramta or have you just been marveling at the view like our pal henry tell us about your experience you can contact us by all the usual methods stay tuned for the details what a week it's been over at inove studios creators of the hotly anticipated infinity battlescape First off, if you've been listening live, there's a new patch that's been pushed as of one hour before this recording. It's the start of the Alpha Free Fly weekend. So if you're an Alpha backer, stop listening, go and download the patch. It's only 1.6 gigabytes. Heck, even I could probably do that. Maybe not. One thing that I know we did want to stress is that even though it's called the Alpha Free Fly weekend, it's not actually an Alpha and what you're downloading is most definitely the prototype and there are very high chance that you'll run into issues. Alpha is simply the level of package you need to have purchased to get access over the weekend. Those with developer level packages will be free to fly as long as they wish. If you're interested in pledging, well, get them wallets ready. As to get the planetary supporter pack, which includes alpha access, you're going to need to set aside a Benjamin and a Tenjamin, which would be 110 for those who don't follow what that stupid who wrote this copy is trying to say. Oh, <laughs> uh, I know where this came from. That's great. Yeah. As usual, there are several bug fixes and balance changes. Most notably, OpenAL no longer crashes on startup, which means you might actually get to play the game now. All ships have had their maximum hit points reduced, and weapons have been tweaked as follows. Interceptor damage is up from 15 to 25. Bomber damage is up from 15 to 50, increased range but lower firing speed. And Corvette damage is up from 15 to 100, with significantly increased range but also significantly lower firing rate. Along with the patch, Flavian has also made so much progress on optimizing the netcode that they reckon the average home user would be able to host a 200-player server. Of course, whether their computer is powerful enough to handle that much data is one thing, but bandwidth-wise, you'll be okay. On the art side, work continues on polishing up some minor issues with the final geometry for small ships, space station windows, and final factory geometry. It also appears that Inove have been keeping an eye on the devs over at Frontier, as they're now also starting to work on cockpit bobbleheads. No further news on what, when, or how much, but rest assured, as soon as the research badgers find out, they'll let us know. So I find it kind of amusing that Inove decided to very explicitly define the fact that the, what they're releasing should not be considered an alpha. Isn't that what it is, though? Apparently not. So there's a pre-alpha now, because we're expected to play alphas. 
So now this is like a pre-alpha. It's weird how the terminology has changed because people being able to play it open like that, it should be a beta if anything. Yeah, but then, I mean, Star Citizen has been in alpha for what? two years now another star citizen innovation changing the way games are made (laughs) and confusing the hell out of anyone trying to track what the development process is i think them doing that it speaks to the fact that we look at betas and early access as playable games now that's what we're excited about because that's the new thing that's coming out is still in early access but it's the new game so even though it's not complete you know people start playing that and that's that's the game to them so them saying it's beta doesn't give a new player the same information it used to when they'd hear beta. It's the full game is a beta, you know? Yeah. Whether that's a good or a bad thing is something that can be debated to the end of time. I'm on the side of bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have my own thoughts on that. So our Infinity Battlescape community question this week is, are you playing the not an alpha alpha? And what are your thoughts on iNobody's progress and the game they put out? Let us know what you think in all the usual ways. But now it's time for news we didn't use. Dual Universe has released its January dev update video covering their progress on biome generation, engine physics, and the first live test server currently only populated by bots for stress testing. Now that we're all caught up with the latest news, let's tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendlies! So let's just be friendly! Some say he's not a human at all, and that he's actually four badgers stood on each other's shoulders wearing a trench coat. But all we know is he's called the Shiv, and he helped put together this week's feedback. Our community questions from last week. From Star Citizen, have you played Pirate Swarm? What's your impression? How does it compare to Van Duel Swarm? Our Descent community question, have you gotten your ass kicked in the tunnels? Do you think the bots are too hard? And our No Man's Sky community question, Does the new ground vehicle in No Man's Sky pique your interest in the game, or is this physical merchandise failure the final nail in Hello Games' coffin? Listener Rent-A-Spoon writes, Great show as always. Absolutely loving the new Pirate Swarm. Going up against Connie's can be awesome, but I have a few issues. Where are the Mustangs? Pirate M Gammas would be perfect for a replacement for early wave M50s, Deltas, and Betas for early and medium combat waves. Alternatively, give different skilled AI different colors, from different pirate orgs. And the same for 300i and 325a. Why only a few handful of ships? Elite waves just feel like any other. I want bosses that defy max recommended spec loadouts, oversized shields, weapons and armor, maybe even a group boss like 10 Merlins all flying as a pack. Where is the pirate caterpillar I was looking forward to kill? Most of the weapons are now colored orange, making it hard to see where the shots are coming from or what type of weapon it is. I want the rainbow back. But it's a good patch. Maybe we'll see Grey Cat's Swarm when 3.0 comes out. Sounds like this guy is a little too comfortable with the ease of it. Yeah, I mean, he's he's obviously put in his time and he's a good player. Like, I would struggle with some of those elite waves. Yeah, I've never made it past... I think I got up to wave 12 at one point. But then again, the, the most, like, intimidating combat ship I have is a Avenger, so... 
Sean Newboy writes in and says, Wonderful show, everyone. Ken from Chicago posted a couple of tweets and says, Default pound space sim joystick controls. Forward, die, back, climb, left, uh, equal bank left, right, bank right, button, fire button. And then he says, Overthinking it at guard frequency. I'm uh, not over. Uh, okay. And then his second post is, Yes, and it means needing separate controls for a throttle, but that's the T in hashtag HOTES. S stick is separate. I think he's trying to say we were working too hard to figure out whether or not we should be standardizing controls, but I think the controls he mentions really is just a fraction of what you need for a modern space sim now. I mean, we're talking about standardized controls. We're talking about standardizing where your gear should usually be, slide left, slide right, you know, vertical, right. takeoff and landing. There's a whole lot that, that you have to do. And obviously, forward, back, left, right, pitch up and down, that's kind of standard already but the idea of standardizing the rest of it i think is what we were talking about yeah but even there you'll find arguments because i know some people like he says left and right are banking some people want it as yaw yeah silent hunter writes just listening to episode 152 and thought i would share my current thoughts on this controversial fighter there are a variety of air power tasks that the u.s and its allies the uk is buying the f-35 may well need to perform in the near future Close air support against a bunch of jihadis armed with AKs and RPGs can be done by pretty much anything. The Scorpion can do this, and of course, so can the AC-130. Long-range standoff strike can be done by the B-52, provided it stays flying. Quick reaction alert against bombers or airliners is going off course and can be done by the Hornet or other 4.5 generation fighters. However, a relatively deep strike from a carrier against a heavily defended target can only be done with a stealth aircraft. The Hornet or the Scorpion cannot evade modern surface-to-air missiles like the S-400, so the best way not to get shot down is to not to be fired on at all. If the F-35 had been aimed at this last role solely, it would probably have a lot less problems. The words jack-of-all-trades spring to mind. Unfortunately, there is no quickly deliverable alternative. Keep up the good work. Krell writes in and says, I've been a subscriber since July 2013. For clarity, he's talking about Star Citizen. I definitely feel like their community interaction has decreased significantly. Fewer and fewer shows. Admittedly, what's left has a higher production value, but that's not nearly as valuable to me as more raw interaction with the community they used to have. The biggest loss was probably the 10 for the chairman show on a weekly basis, or at least the 10 for the somebody. It doesn't take that much time to pick questions and throw together some quick answers. That is, until you add a bunch of fancy graphics, start making everybody put on makeup, and add a laugh track. I miss Wingman's Hangar. A lot. Also, I have just a little bit more feedback on Jeff's feedback to my feedback on the joystick thing. I believe it was Jeff, I think, who rightly pointed out that it's only partially a joystick layout problem. It's also a controls keybinding problem. Pretty much all FPS games have the same basic functionality map to the same keyboard keys and gamepad keys. But if one space game uses control to strafe up and another one uses E, we have the same problem with a mouse keyboard setup that we're talking about solving in the joystick world. I suppose you can map basic functionality to every joystick. X and Y axes should match the mouse and you can have at least a trigger and a second button. But I don't know that it's at all helpful to have that little functionality defined by default. In a lot of ways, it makes more sense to put this off on joystick manufacturers to create profiles for various games for their joysticks. I, I think everybody thinks I want to bind the joystick to the default layout and be done with it. That's not at all what I've been advocating for. 
I, I think we need full blown profile mapping, set up the joystick the way you want to set it up and same with the in-game stuff that you do to whatever. The question becomes, if I want to jump in and test, you know, go into the flight sim or whatever and test out my functionality to see what I need to change, those functions should be the same across all the, all the, all the space sim genre. Maybe that's a better way of putting it. I think you've said that. I think people might not be hearing it very well. I mean, I, yeah. I took your explanation. I, I, I felt exactly what you just said when we had the debate in the first place. But you have said that's not what you were saying. I, you know, I get that. And I think you just need to say it again, you know? Oh. Anyway, moving on. And our new patrons this week are... I'm so excited. It's nobody. It's a new year, so we're changing things up a bit. No longer will you be limited to one prompt for your responses. So, this week's community questions. Did any of the upcoming Star Citizen Persistent Universe features interest or enrage you? Do you have an alternative ideas on how to implement some of the systems? Please chime in, otherwise next show's feedback is just going to be another rant by Tony. Do you have the coveted beta access for Elite Dangerous? Have you been running around gathering data for Ram Ta, or have you just been marveling at the view like our pal Henry? Tell us about your experience. Are you playing the not alpha alpha of Infinity Battlescape? What are your thoughts on Inove's progress in the game they've put out? You've heard our thoughts, so we want to hear yours. Drop us an email, a tweet, or comment on our show's post, which you can find on our website and over on our Facebook page. So, how was the show? Was it an awe-inspiring, immersive experience? Or did you want to get back to the real world after a short stint? Either way, let us know. Here's how you get in touch with us. Why not leave us a comment on this show's post over at GuardFrequency.com? Or you could hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak and leave a comment and like us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. You can also use the contact form on our website, and all the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute and tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 153 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 154 on February 7th, so be sure to keep an eye out for our shows over at GuardFrequency.com. But that's not all. You can also subscribe to our shows at feeds.guardfrequency.com or by searching for us on iTunes. And if you're not doing anything Friday nights, you can always join us live over at GuardFrequency.com forward slash live. We start recording around 10 p.m. Central, which is Saturdays at 9.30 a.m. if you live in Masurnam, India, officially the wettest place on Earth. Do you like what we do? Want to help us make the best damn space in podcast ever? Drop us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. And you can also support the show by visiting our website, clicking on the Patreon logo, and becoming a regular subscriber. For just $1.25 a week, that's $1.25, you will get access to the raw recordings of our live shows, some guard frequency goodies, and an invitation to our private Elite Dangerous flight group. We want to thank all of our Patreons who support us with their subscriptions week on week and hope you'll consider making a regular contribution because the more support we get, the better show we can make. Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? We're active in most space sims and would love to have you join us. Check out our website and look under the call sign section for details of how you can fly with us. And don't forget about our sister production, Priority One. They cover all things Star Trek, from the TV series to the MMO, the novels, the movies, and everything in between. Be sure to check them out at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. 
Thanks to our community manager, Justin Chivalry Bean Lowmaster, our artist, Ben Sanders and Simon Chorlton Edwards, our staff writer, Jace Pentad, and of course, our audio engineer, Mikey. Thanks to our syndication partner, The Bass, and a special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit ronaldjenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we'll especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. Just as for an F. The devs explain that the AI will have varying. I sort of bungled that. So you may be able to get away with one all-star crew where you need two or three metacore hit. Met, me, uh, this week's Elite Dangerous community question. Do you have the coveted beta access? Have yes. you been running around gathering? <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. Due to the lack of observation, the only evidence that this planet exists are a combination of the erotic... Or, uh, erotic... Okay. The only evidence... Yeah, we do erotic orbits or something (laughs) completely different that we won't discuss here. Oh, screw you, Lennon.